You know, a lot of people will challenge us and say that carbon dating proves millions of years. Well, you might be surprised by what carbon dating really tells us. Stay tuned. You are listening to Creation Talk, a creation.com podcast, proclaiming the truth to honor the creator while providing credible answers. So welcome back. Uh, I'm Scott Gillis, and I'm here with my good friend, Joel Tay. How are you doing, Joel? Hi, Scott. You know that we talk all the time about the origins issue, about evolution versus creation. And, you know, that deals with time. Yes. You know, for example, evolution needs millions and billions of years. And that stands in opposition to the biblical account, which is a much shorter time. So we've talked about in other episodes, as well as on our website, creation.com, how the millions of years that come from the sedimentary layers. But how many times have we heard before that the idea that carbon dating proves millions of years, right? So here's the question. Does carbon dating prove millions of years? No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, why do you say that? Well, we have to ask a question first, right? So what is carbon dating before we can even address right, the issue? Right. And, and when you think about carbon, you know, I've been told that carbon is kind of like the backbone element of all life. You know, the Star Trek people used to say that there are carbon-based life forms, yes, right? That's right. Yes. You know, and so all living things, both we and and the animals and the plants, are have this basis, this backbone of the carbon element. So, how is that used? Uh, how is that a part of carbon dating? Okay, so to understand carbon dating, we have to understand that normal carbon that we have is carbon twelve, but cosmic rays hit the Earth, and cosmic ray- rays actually cause nitrogen fourteen to become carbon-14. Now, where's this nitrogen-14? Oh, nitrogen's in the air. So normal it's nitrogen just in the air. Okay. is nitrogen-14. So cosmic rays hit that, convert that to carbon-14. So okay. now, now we have two types of carbon. The normal carbon, which is carbon-12, yeah. and then we have a radioactive carbon, carbon which is carbon-14. And uh, carbon-14 uh, decays over time back into nitrogen. So um, what's the ratio? Well, we have for every 1 trillion Carbon twelve atoms. There is one carbon fourteen atom. Okay, so we know one the ratio. Trillion, one trillion. For every one trillion carbon twelve atoms, we have one carbon fourteen atom. Yes, about one trillion. Okay, so and that's in like the atmosphere. That's in everything we do in our know, food, in the atmosphere. When we breathe right. in, we drink water, we eat. We take both carbon twelve and carbon fourteen into our body. And not, not just we, but animals and all plants, all the, yes. all the uh, creatures that respirate carbon. Because, like, I mean, we have carbon dioxide, so it's part of the respiration yes. thing. All right, so that means that this carbon-12 and carbon-14 is inside living things. All living right? things, yes. So, as long as we're living, we're taking that in, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. But what happens when we die? So that's where the question right. comes in. Right, So what do, what do you mean, when we die— how does that change? You see, when we die, we stop taking in any more food, any more carbon. And stop breathing too, Stop right? breathing too. Mm-hmm. So no new carbon is coming into our bodies. But carbon-12 is stable. It's normal carbon. It remains in the same amount or same level. Well, carbon-14, it's radioactive. Over time, it decays away back into nitrogen. So if you have carbon-12 here and you have carbon-14 here, over time, carbon-14 Half itself. Keeps we call going. that half-life. Half-life? Well, yes. what, what's, what do you mean? I've heard that term. I remember yes, that in school. Right. What's a half-life? Well, half-life is the amount of time it takes for 
a certain element to decay, a radioactive element to decay by half. So uh, in carbon-14, you're looking at 5,730 years as a half-life. So what that means is, imagine you have this amount, after 5,730 years, it halves itself. Okay. And another 5,730 5, years, it halves itself again, so you get a quarter. A quarter left. One eight, one sixteen, and so on. Well, eventually it would go down to almost nothing, right? Yeah, eventually it would just um, you'd be all gone. Wait a minute here. So if indeed carbon-14 has this half-life of all, well, I mean, 5,730 years is a long time, but compared to millions of years, it's not very much. I'm thinking that if it goes down to a half, and then after another 5,000 or so years, a quarter, 16th, you know, an eighth, 16th, and it goes down, I mean, there's a certain point that uh, there wouldn't be any measurable left. I mean, when when does that happen? Yeah, that's right. So it keeps halving itself, and we say that the upper limit's about 50,000 to 100,000 years. Oh. So in other words, if you have a fossil that is more than 100,000 years, it should not contain any carbon-14. All of that should have degraded away. Yet, yeah, don't they oftentimes tell us that these fossils are millions of years old? Yes, that's what um, evolutionists claims. So this is kind of a, a, a problem, isn't it? It you is, know? because the thing is, almost every fossil that we test contains traceable amounts of carbon-14. All right, so where do we find this uh, radioactive carbon-14? Where, where do we find those kind of things? As we have mentioned earlier on, carbon is taken by living things. So okay. things that was once alive now contain carbon-14. So things like like fossils, yeah, um, coal, because coal is carbon as well. So what what coal used to be what? I mean, it used to be plants, trees be that were once alive. Okay. So they'd have carbon-14 and carbon-12 in there. So okay. when we test coal, they contain carbon-14. We know they are young. We test oil, it contains carbon-14. We can test diamonds, and diamonds um, is made of carbon. Oh, okay. So diamonds, okay. And, and the big one is this. What? We can test dinosaur bones. And guess what they contain? Carbon-14. Okay. Which means that they are young. They're not even yeah. 100,000 years So e- even by their own assumptions, it can't be more than 100,000 years old. That's right. Sounds like a huge problem for evolutionists, this whole idea of carbon-14. And yet most of us are told that that's where we get millions of years or one of the places we get it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a, an explanation of this whole idea of, um, of not just carbon-14, but radioisotope decay kind of given as an analogy as a bathtub. And yeah, I think can, you've probably heard that before. I've heard that. Can you explain? You know, I've told this story before where, you know, let's say that when I get home tonight, I come and walk up to my door and nobody's home, but I hear water running. All right? And it sounds like my house is flooding, a lot of yes. water. So I go in there and in the bathtub, the faucet's running full force. Nobody's there. So I just happen to have a one-gallon pail <laughs> <laughs> next to my bathtub. I put it underneath the faucet. And I time, and it takes one minute to fill up that one-gallon pail. Yes. All right, so later on, if I measure 15 gallons into the tub, so what would be the logical answer that you would give that it took one minute to fill one gallon, and I have 15 gallons in the tub? Most people will say 15, 15 minutes. Right, and I've given this analogy before, and I ask that question, and they always answer 15 minutes. But then I tell them, 
they made a lot of assumptions, right? Yes. I mean, for example, they didn't say, they assumed that there was no water in the tub when it started, that nobody added any, nobody took any out, that the drain plug wasn't being filled with, that the amount of water coming out of the faucet wasn't turned on and off or changed the rate. Yes, that's right. And, and that's a good analogy of the assumptions that scientists use when they're doing radioisotope dating like carbon-14, right? Yes, it's true. But some of these things, those assumptions I've heard, you know, scientists have said, for example, the decay rate, which would be the amount of water going in the tub, that it's not always been consistent, that, it, that it's changed over time. Have you heard that kind of thing? Yes, I've heard a few explanations. So what are some of the other assumptions that uh, scientists use that, that the evidence really doesn't support? Yeah. Um, well, you know, sometimes people come up to us to say 100,000 years, that's still very yeah, big that's to right. fit into the Bible, right? Yeah. But we must understand, like you say, the bathtub analogy, there's lots of assumptions that we have. Yeah. So one of the assumptions, you must understand that when we say uh, radiocarbon dates, we're not talking about actual dates. Right, so right. that so, that machine, I think it's called the accelerator mass spectrometer. That's yes, the big that's expensive right. machine that counts those atoms, right? Yeah, they count individual and, atoms. And I think a lot of people think that like a little slip of paper comes out and tells a date of an item, and that's not it at all. Yes. I mean, what does that machine do? Just plainly? Just count the atoms. That's all. And so then the scientists, they have to interpret that count, correct? Yes, that's right. All right. So one of the things that you mentioned is that we we kind of know how many half-life, we assume we know how many half-life has passed. So we know the ratio of carbon-12 and carbon-14. But like the bathtub analogy, what if at the very beginning or before the flood, there was a different ratio of carbon-12 and carbon-14? Right. So scientists are assuming that the ratio that's in the environment today has been true for actually millions of years, right? yes. But in a biblical scenario, are there some questions that we can ask that might change that assumption? Yes, because the Bible speaks about worldwide flood. Right. And we also know from science that um, our magnetic field around the earth has been decaying, ex- decaying exponentially over time. And why this is important is this. Do you remember how carbon-14 is formed? Yeah, the cosmic rays coming in from the atmosphere and bombarding those nitrogen-14 atoms, right? Yes, that's right. But when we have a stronger magnetic field, and we know that we have a much stronger magnetic field in the past, that kind of shields the Earth oh, it from, the cosmic, Earth, from, uh, from the cosmic rays. Cosmic rays, okay. Which means that less carbon-14 would be formed. Back in those earlier years when the magnetic force was greater, there would be less carbon-14 in the atmosphere. Hmm. That's, that's right. In fact, even we know from archaeology that when we test things that go back further than 400 years BC, the carbon dates don't actually match the written records very well. Right. The further back you go before that, it gets more and more skewed. So if that's true about the magnetic field, then we would actually get older ages than it actually were. Yes, because if there's less carbon-14 created in the past, and we assume today's rates to measure that, it will give us inflated ages. So that, things will appear to be older than they actually are. That makes sense. So you get an inflated date. What other kind of things uh, do we find in the evidence in, in, in the world, in the rock layers? Well, I think one of the most interesting things is this. See, where do we get the idea of millions of years from? Well, most people would say from the sedimentary layers building up millions and millions of years. They'll say all these layers stack up and actually are hundreds of millions of years, right? That's right. And this is where it gets interesting. What? 
when we test fossils from different layers, different depths in the rock layers, they all give the same age range. Really? Which means they are not a record of millions of years. The rock layers are formed as a result of one single event. So that means all those layers probably were laid down quickly in a, in a very short period, uh, perhaps a worldwide flood? A worldwide flood. Those creatures live and died at the same time. All right. And if the rock layers are not set down over millions of years, where do you get your millions of years from? So we have established that carbon-14 tells us a fossil cannot be more than 100,000 years old. So where do people get the idea that radiometric dating gives us millions of years? Well, I've heard that sometimes they use different radioisotopes besides carbon-14 that have much, much longer uh, half-lives. You know, for instance, I think potassium argon is one of the tests that's done to get millions of years. But then that reminds me of... uh, of a, a report where a sample from a volcanic lava dome was sent into a potassium argon dating lab, and they got an age of 350,000 years. Yes, that's right. And then they extracted a mineral from that same sample, and this time they got a completely different date, 900,000 years. And yet another mineral they took out, and this time it was 1.7 to 2.8 million years. And this is all from the same rock? Same rock, all right? But it turns out that that rock came from the volcanic lava dome of Mount St. Helens. And the people knew that this rock had formed only 10 years before. And yet they got ranges of 350,000 to 2.8 million years from a rock that was 10 years old. So it doesn't even agree. Right, right. So there, there are some questions that we should be asking about the assumptions that scientists are using when we do radioisotope dating. So when we get results that conflict with what the actual evidence do, how do the scientists answer this? Yeah, how, what do they say? Do they say? I mean, sometimes they say that, well, there's a contamination, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, that, that something must have gone wrong with the tests. <laughs> and one thing I think of when I think of contamination is, you know, just take a diamond, you know, that's the hardest substance known on Earth outside of the human heart. <laughs> but <laughs> you know what? If there's any place that contamination couldn't happen, it's in diamonds. But as we've reported on our website, creation.com, there's carbon-14 carbon carbon 14. in diamonds. That's right. And one thing interesting about contamination is that when we say something is contamination, we will expect that to be the rare exception. Okay, in, right, the rare exception. If it in almost every case, oh. it's contamination. Yeah. Perhaps it's not really contamination yeah. after all. It's especially when the result is different than what they were hoping for. There's always a reason for that. So you could say that carbon-14 is, uh, is our friend. It, it actually supports what the Bible says. Yes, a good right? friend of the creationists. Right. Yeah. Now, we've only scratched the surface here in this episode, and there's so many more things that you can investigate. For example, go to our website, creation.com, and click on Articles, Topics, and then click on Dating. No, you're not going to find anything there about (laughs) Valentine's Day, that kind of dating, but it's going to give you a better understanding of what we're talking about today. If you want a general overview, I'd like to suggest you get the Creation Answers book. And in Chapter 4, there's a really good summary of the things we've been talking about. However, if you want to go into really in-depth, here's a book, Rocks Aren't Clocks. 
This is going to go into all kinds of detail. But if you prefer to watch a video, as you probably do since you're tuned in to YouTube here, here's a video that's on DVD as well as a uh, video download that you can get at creation.com, Radioactive Dating and a Young Earth by Dr. James Mason, who is a experimental nuclear physicist. You might say he knows a little bit about this, right? So I hope you'll dig in and learn more at our website, creation.com. It's been great. Thank you, Joel. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on creation.com talk.